Good to see you all here. Well, most of you. I'm kidding. Actually, some of you, it's good to see you. Others, it is fantastic to see you. Paige, it is always fantastic to see you with me. <laughs> all right, it's getting cheesy, right? You got your hip boots on? All right, so Noah has read to us 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3, for, 3 through 4. And uh, we're going to be looking at primarily um, a lot of different passages, but we're going to be spending a lot of time in Matthew chapter 13 through 15. We've got a lot to cover today and a short time to get there. I want to remind you we're doing a series on more of you, more of God. And, and this is all precipitated by uh, just my inner desire to be closer to the Lord, to be more applicable uh, in his kingdom, more uh, fruitful in production, uh, and um, this is just the motivator here. I just want more. I want to be more effective. I want to be more useful. And so in week one, we, we focused on John chapter 3, verse 30, 30 and we used the scale here as a, a visual reminder of increasing God in our lives, which means decreasing ourselves in our lives. And so the weightier of the two would indicate that if Jesus is more, he'll be weightier and then we will be less, right? So that is just a constant indicator, a reminder this week of John 30, chapter verse 30. I must be least that he must be greater. Uh, we went into the second week and we used the power cord and, and we had other power cords, but we kind of lost them. But anyway, the power is to illustrate that I want more power in my life. I want God's power in my life so that I can do more things for him in a powerful way to bring about change in this world. And that was based on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to have the verses attached to these things so you can relate them easier. When we got into week three last week, we focused on more spirit, and that's why the fan is there, because when the fan's plugged in and it blows, you know, wind, spirit. So that's my connection. You have to just trust me on this. This is how my mind thinks. It's it's diluted sometimes. So more spirit, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I want more spirit, more work of the Holy Spirit in my life and through me for the sake of his kingdom. And today, we're going to be focusing on the map. Now, I know Paige knows the answer to this, and probably Laura knows the answer, but does anybody else know what does that map have to do with the fourth element of our series? More what? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, but it's my fault because I couldn't really think of anything that matches faith. Today is more faith. And the reason I picked this, uh, this map, and because I selected, or I believe God led me to these chapters in Matthew, is because when it comes to matters of faith, I believe God wants us to go places we've never been, which takes an act of faith. He wants us to invest in ways that we don't have the money to invest, so we have to have more faith in our resources. I believe that he wants us to do things and say things that we don't feel comfortable doing and saying when we go to those various places. And so in that regard, we need more faith. Basically, the bottom line is we need a lot of faith, period. 
faith is what it's all about to be a believer in the body of Christ. And all the songs that we sing this morning are, this is the stuff I believe. This is where I place my faith. And so faith is going to be huge in our lives. But here's the premise that is, is founded in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 3 through 4, which Noah just read. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers. This is a letter that Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonia, Thessalonica. And he says, because your faith is growing more and more. I got fixated on that. Is it possible that your faith and my faith can increase? Absolutely. That's what this verse is saying. And, and is it possible that it could, it could increase greatly or is it just like incrementally in little bitty steps? You know, I, I think the sky is the limit to how much our faith can increase. But here's the other thing. How do you measure it? How do you measure faith? And in this particular pericope, it says, because among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. This is the measure. When you're going through persecution, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a challenging situation, it is your faith that's going to get you through that. And when people observe the element of faith at work in you in those crises of faith, that's when we're going to know that your faith is either increasing or decreasing or if it's basically stagnant. Faith is everything in the life of a believer. And so we're going to study several different aspects of of what faith should look like in us. Now, in order for faith to, to increase, we have to understand some basics of faith. There's two different types of faith. There is the fruit of the Spirit, and there is the gift of the Spirit. All right, so when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. That is our gift, not the different works of the Holy Spirit. Those are not the gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit itself. So when we have the Holy Spirit, now we have the gift, and that includes the gift of faith. This is a... a, a, an installment that God gives to you by his power at given moments in your life when you're going to need a little extra boost of faith that you couldn't possibly develop or obtain on your own on your own initiative. God imparts the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can do amazing, incredible things for his kingdom, for the sake of other people. And so there is the one element of faith, which is a gift. But a fruit is something that can be invested in. It can be pruned. It can be, it can be fine-tuned. It can, it can be developed. A fruit of the Spirit is something that can grow. And so the faith that we're going to be focusing on today is that element of our faith that can grow, that has the capacity to grow if we develop it correctly. Now, in order to develop faith in each of us, we have to do this ourselves. Nobody can develop my faith for me. I have to do it myself. Likewise, I can't develop yours. But I can help you to find opportunities by which you can put your faith to practice and actually exercise it, which would make it stronger and develop it into more effectiveness. In Romans ten seventeen, it says that faith comes from hearing the message 
The message is heard through the word of Christ. So when you hear the scriptures read, now this was huge in the Old Testament. They would bring their whole family on a given day and they would all, all the Jews would stand on two different sides of the hill and the person at the bottom would read the holy scriptures and, and the words would echo up through the hills and everybody would just absorb the reading and the hearing of the scriptures. That gave them an element of faith. But just because you heard the message doesn't necessarily mean that you heard the message. You know, we learn this in marriage, that you can hear things but not really hear things. Yes, I heard you say take out the trash, but I didn't hear you say right now. You know, I understand you wanted me to pick my dirty clothes up, but I didn't know that that meant I had to do it yesterday. You know, and so we hear things but we don't really hear I have learned this as a pastor is that you can talk about the, you can preach the best message ever. And when people leave, they're going to be fixated on one little phrase that they either didn't understand or didn't like or didn't agree with. And they miss the entire message, even though they sat there the whole 20, 30, 40 or 60 minutes. They sat there the whole time, but they didn't hear everything that was said. So this is saying, Disregard the things you think you heard or might have heard or were distorted in your ears. But hearing the message, the, the, the message of the word of God can increase your faith. Likewise, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, in this case is translated as obedience, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is obedience. Our faith in practice is our obedience. When you believe that God says, observe the communion as often as you will in remembrance of me. When you go through the act of receiving those elements and remembering the crucifixion and his death on the cross and, and his resurrection and the blood that was shed for our sins, that is an act of obedience that will increase your faith. So two things, hearing, obedience, the two work together to help produce more fruit of faith in your life. Now, there is a, a little bit of a way to measure faith, and we're going to look at five examples in the Scripture. We're going to go over these quickly, but write these down because these are pretty cool to me. At the very bottom of faith... You know, the faith as small as a mustard seed that can still move a mountain. I, I was looking for scriptures that indicate a time when somebody acted on faith, but it was just the smallest amount of faith possible. And I came to Mark chapter 9, verse 22. In this particular passage, this is a story of a, a father who came to Jesus and, and he declared, my son is very ill. Let me see if I can find it exactly here. He says, um, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not in verse 18. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long should I stay with you? How, how should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. 
So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? He said, from childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can take, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So look at that little phrase. If you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus replied, if I can, if I can. You see, this particular father is questioning his ability to heal at all. But but you can see that this just little bitty pithy phrase, if you can. Now, I'm wondering how many of you have ever prayed prayers where you have used those words, God, if you can, will you please help me to pay my mortgage this month? If you can, would you please help me to forgive somebody? If you can, will you please hear my prayer and heal my child? If you can. To me, that is like the absolute lowest of faith. If you can. I question who you are. I question your ability. I question everything about this. But if you can do anything, help me. And eventually the man said something, or Jesus said something, uh, everything is possible to him who believes. And he said, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. Now look at Matthew chapter 8 for a, a step up from that. Bless you, by the way. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, this is a man with leprosy. And it says that when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And the man was. You see, the first one, we said, if you can do anything. And the second level is, if you are willing. Now, this has been a pet peeve of mine lately because we all do this. This is really a cop-out. We're trying to illustrate I have faith in God, but we're basically saying I don't have faith in my understanding of God. You see, here the leper was questioning Jesus' willingness to answer his prayer. We use this phrase all the time, if it's God's will. If it be God's will. I don't want to pray contrary to God's will. If it be thy will. Well, Jesus just told us what his will is. I am willing to heal. That's what I do. That's why I died on the cross. That's why I took the stripes upon my back. That's why I shed my blood. I am certainly willing to bring healing into your life. The third level is found in Mark chapter 8. We're going to do a little volleyball here, go back and forth. In Mark chapter 8, the next step up from that is found in 8 verse 22. The healing of a blind man at Bethsaida. It says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, he put hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? He said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Good stuff. Good answer, right? So in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, basically what they were saying is, if you will touch him, I know he'll be made well. If you will just touch him, I know he'll be made well. 
Now, this is kind of a weird thing, and I don't know if anybody can relate to me. But there have been times in my life that I've been in various churches or situations where there was like a revival service or a guest speaker. Uh, but anyway, in that time of worship, it was extremely vibrant, extremely meaningful. And in that situation, I felt like God is in this place. He has descended upon me. He's standing right in front of me. And, and I just can't deny the fact that I feel God's presence, right? And when that happens, I have thought things like this. If you would just reach out and touch me, I know I would notice a change. Something would occur in me if you would just reach out and touch me. This is the same kind of thing. These guys, on behalf of the blind man, brought him to Jesus because they saw something, they felt something, they experienced something, and by faith they said, if you will just touch him, we know he will be healed. Page two. Level four. Found in Mark chapter six, verse 56. The very last verse of Mark chapter six. In this particular story, Jesus had just finished walking on water, and everybody on the shore had seen this occur. They knew something was up. The disciples had seen this. In 53, when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, carried all of their sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever they went, they brought the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. You see, in this particular case, the responsibility is put upon the believer. Whereas the first three, the responsibility was put on Jesus. If you're willing, if you have the ability... If you will touch me, if you will work on my behalf, I know the healing will occur. But in number four, we're at a place where the responsibility is on us. And West, where we have this attitude that I know if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. This is a whole new level of faith in my eyes. And one that will definitely precipitate level five. This is found in Matthew 8, verse 6. You see, in this particular case, there's, there's a whole lot going on here, but we don't have time for all of it. But in Matthew chapter 8, verse 6, the faith of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, or actually the, it would be pronounced Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. And they said, he said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. There wasn't an invitation. He just said, Lord, my servant lies at home. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. You don't even have to be in the same room. If you would just say the word, I know he would be healed. Why is that? Because of what he says in verse 9. I myself am a man under authority. And when soldiers under me, uh, and I have soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go and do this, and he'll do it because of my authority. And I tell this one to do something, he goes and does it because of my authority. 
What the centurion is saying is, Jesus, I understand you're under the authority of God. And you have things under your authority. And if you would just speak the word, I know that, that the Holy Spirit will work on your behalf. I just know that God will work in your favor. If you would just say the word, do this. Oh, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Why? Because he recognized the authority that Jesus possessed. The centurion, it would be, it would be numb just to say he had a, he had a faith in Jesus, but he had faith in Jesus' authority. Just his title alone gave him opportunity for a miracle. So in all of these cases, here's the cool thing. Regardless of the faith of the mustard seed in the first level to the tremendous faith and the authority of Jesus at the top level, every one of them were healed. Everyone received healing, which indicates to me that it doesn't matter how much faith you possess or how much faith your family possesses or how, how ill repaired or ill, ill prepared or ill repaired that you feel you may be. God can still work a miracle in your life just on the basis of your invitation or your request. Now, this is crazy stuff to me. That's the type of faith I want to where I don't question myself. I'm not double-minded. When I believe that God says to go and do this, I want to do this. When God says drive to Iowa City and lay hands on a particular person and pray seven times and have that person drink water after each time, I just want to be obedient. Even if it doesn't make sense, I just want to be obedient. That's an act of faith. And so we talk about obedience a lot in the church. Be obedient to the, the laws and the decrees that God has poured out, right? But God also has called us to be obedient in the little things. Pray for that person. Forgive this person. Give money to this person. Go here to this particular location and do what I've asked you to do. Go to the nursing home and pray with these people who have been sitting there with no visitors for months. Go to that person. But we don't have obedience in that kind of stuff because that's different. It's easier just to obey the laws. Because sometimes God asks us to do stuff that we just don't want to do. Get out of your seat. Go down to the altar and pray. No, I'm not doing that. I will not do that. Okay, your lack of obedience has sealed your fate. You see what I'm saying? Obedience, you, we don't get to say what we're, we're going to pick and choose what we're going to be obedient to. We're going to be obedient to God, period. That's what he's looking for. So now, we're going to transition here. Let's put the both to practice, hearing and obedience, put them together Give us a scenario that we can see what this really looks like in real life, okay? This is real-time stuff. We start with Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. I'm going to go through each of these elements as quickly as I can because I don't want to bore you to death. Matthew 13, 53 through 58. This is a little section which my Bible calls it a prophet without honor. Now, I want you to pay attention. This is also why I picked the map. I'll show you this. We don't. We couldn't find a map up there, could we? 
oh, I wanted a map. That's all right. Don't worry about it. But anyway, so there's a map here, and at the top is the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to pay attention to the, to the locations that are mentioned here, because this is what's going to help us to have understanding as to the pericope of the Scripture. When Jesus had finished the parables, he went to his hometown. What was Jesus' hometown? Nazareth, right? You know it. I knew you knew it. All right. Nazareth is located uh, just kind of north-central Israel, um, maybe 30 miles from the Sea of Galilee. But it's in Jewish territory, okay? He, he was in his, um, his hometown among his hometown people. And Jesus says this, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Lack of faith in his hometown. So naturally, Jesus isn't going to stick around long, right? If you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? So he picks up his bags and he goes on. In chapter 14, verse 13, we find that now he's at the location in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is like to the north of the Sea of Galilee, right on the shoreline up in the mountains. He's standing down by the water. He's preaching up at the crowd as they sit on the side of the hill. Great acoustics, by the way. So in Matthew 14, 13 through 21, it says that he spent a whole day there teaching the crowd, and there was a lot of them. At the end of the day, he, sa- he says, um, we need to feed these people. His disciples uh, say, um, we can't go to the village, and well, why can't we send them to go to the village and buy their own food? Jesus replied in verse 16, they do not have need to go away. You give them something to eat. We probably heard the story. We only have five loaves of bread and two fishes. Fishes or fish? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Eastern Kentucky, fishes. He says to them, bring them to me. Bring all the food to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. This is also important. Sit down on the grass in Bethsaida. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. He broke the loaves. He passed it to each of his disciples. Kind of sounds like communion, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's not a mistake. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over and... The number of those who ate were 5,000 men besides the women and children. They anticipate that there was probably three additional people to each family. So this could be as high as 20,000 people that were fed that day by this little bitty amount of food. Now, in hearing the words of Jesus, his instructions, and by their obedience, even though they didn't have faith at this point, That's why Jesus came, to teach them faith. He said, do what I tell you, and you will obtain faith. You will produce faith. So they went through the motions, and afterwards they saw this. They had all the leftovers, and they had to think to themselves, this is truly a miracle. Jesus is amazing. There is nothing he can't do. Their faith was at a pinnacle. It was way up here. And so they move on from there. In Matthew 14, verses 22 through 34, now they see Jesus walk on water as they cross over from Bethsaida to Gennesaret, which is also on the north, but a little bit to the west, right on the Sea of Galilee. 
Again, by watching Jesus walk on water, they're getting faith by seeing and hearing when he says to them, you of little faith, you should be able to do this as well. Now, here's the key. In verse 34, they landed at Gennesaret. People brought all of their sick to Jesus, and they begged him to let them touch the hem of his garment. Obedience. They came to Jesus. Their obedience, their faith was illustrated by what they did. They came and asked. They brought their their sick to him and asked for mercy. We'll skip into chapter 15 for just a minute. In verses 1 through 28, this is huge now. From Gennesaret, Jesus leaves, and he goes up into the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is well north of Israel's territory into modern-day Syria. All right, these are pagans. These are Gentile people that have nothing to do with the Jewish church or with what Jesus' scope of influence is. And Jesus begins to teach them about clean and unclean people. They're struggling with this because in their eyes, if they're non-Jewish, they're, clean, they're dirty. We need to stay away from them, have no, no, con, no contact, no communication with, with pagan people, Gentile people. But then to illustrate to them what he's talking about, he leads them to Tyre and Sidon where the Canaanite woman approaches him and says, my daughter has been suffering terrible from demon possession. And he says to her, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. If Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, what's he doing in Tyre and Sidon? Is he, did he not have a map with him? Did he get lost? Or does he have an agenda? Exactly. He has an agenda, right? He had just taught them what clean and unclean is. Now he's going to show them by example what he had in mind. The woman came, knelt before him, Lord, help me. He said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs because Gentiles were seen as on the same level of dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, indicating if you would just give me a crumb of your teaching, just one word of your message, just a morsel a percentage, a small percentage of what you've been giving to the Jews, if you would just give it to me, I know my child would be freed. And Jesus commented, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Now remember, this is a Gentile, and Jesus has just illustrated to the disciples that God can even heal Gentiles. So from there, they go to Matthew 15, verse 29 and 39. And who can tell me what happens in Matthew 15, 29 through 39. Anybody can remember? Exactly. Jesus feeds 4,000 people. All right, now this is huge. All right, so Matthew 15, 29 through 39. Jesus left there. They went along the Sea of Galilee. Remember, he was at Tyre and Sidon, north of Israel on the, on the Mediterranean. Comes down back to the Sea of Galilee. Goes up on a mountainside and says, Great crowds of people came bringing their lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Where are they at this point? Mark 7 is the only one that gives an indicator. They're in the region of the Decapolis cities. Right? That's a dead giveaway, right? 
the region of the Decapolis cities is modern-day Jordan. They have left the boundary of Israel, and now they're in Gentile territory. That's why he feeds two large groups of people. He's already taken care of the Jews, but because of their faith concerns with his hometown and some of those who have been watching, he wanted to show them the full scope of his ability and the scope of his ministry. So he goes into Gentile territory, the Decapolis cities, and he feeds 4,000. And here, when he tells them to be seated, he doesn't tell them to sit on the grass because there is no grass. The grass is, is isolated to the region where they plant crops and that kind of stuff around the Sea of Galilee. But now he's going down out of that into the desert area where it's just rocks and dirt. He has them sit down and he tells the disciples, I need you to feed these people for they have been with me for three days. Three days. They've been, they've been fasting for three days. And now they're hungry. I can't send them anywhere else to eat. It's too far. It's out of the way. So you guys feed them. And these disciples who now are completely filled with faith and awe, and they completely understand the miracles of God, they're ready to chomp at the bit. Let's do it. Let's put some loaves and fishes together, right? No. They say to Jesus, where are we going to get food? We don't have any food. Now, I don't know if this is one week later, two weeks later, three weeks. It doesn't matter. But these same men were in the same situation where previously Jesus had fed up to 20,000 people. And now they are still questioning because of their lack of faith what Jesus can do. Why? Because now he's trying to feed Gentiles. And in their minds, I believe they're thinking, yeah, you can feed Jews, but I bet you can't feed Gentiles. And Jesus says, just watch me. All of this is to illustrate to him faith in practice. Faith comes from hearing and from our obedience. And now the Jews, these disciples, are now serving and seeing miracles come to life And their faith is increasing so that when the day comes that Jesus is called home, they're going to be on fire, ready to go, ready to tackle the world, right? No. Because when Jesus is arrested, the disciples scatter like mice and when the light is flipped on. Crazy stuff. There's more, but I don't want to give you a whole lot. But in the little passage of scripture, I think it's in John, where Jesus is teaching the disciples about, about the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He finishes teaching and the disciples, it says, started to scatter, saying to themselves, who can, who can follow? Who can believe such teaching? So it was weeding out some of the church members because they just didn't have the faith to wrap around this. Interesting stuff. So here's the premise. Here, here's the whole, the whole shooting match right here. If we want to increase our faith, we're going to increase it in two ways. We got to hear the word. We got to dig into the scriptures. We have to read the stories. And then we have to listen to the testimony of those who have been here, who have seen it happen, who can testify to the miracles they've witnessed. We need to hear those stories because that increases our faith. And so if you come to church and you just keep it to yourself, you're not only being disobedient to God, but you're not feeding 
the lambs of the church. We need those stories of miracles. Believe it or not, we're doing the faith promising, raising money by faith for missionaries. From a pastor's perspective, this is all about increasing the faith of the church. It's an indirect proposal that now we get to feed missionaries. The main objective is to increase the faith of the people in the pews. And you know what happens when that happens? Is that stories are told and other churches hear what God is doing in other churches and then it begins to multiply. You may not believe this. I believe it. Doug Hoffman will tell you this is a true story. Pat Short called me and said, guess what? Our church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota is going to start doing faith promise. We're going to start doing missionary conferences and we're going to raise money by faith to support those missionaries. Because he's seen what can happen. And now the people in South Dakota are hearing the story of our faith. That's what happens when you put it to practice. That's why this is so important. That's what we need to be about. Increasing our faith. Doing whatever it takes. Going where he sends us. Saying what he asks us to do. Just being obedient. And God will bless our efforts. Now, here's what I have on the agenda. If somebody would go and tell the kids they can come back. Thanks, Tim. We're going to go to our prayer time now. And after I go through the prayer concerns, we're going to go ahead and sing our closing. Okay? While we're singing, I ask you this sincerely because this is what the scriptures communicate to me. If there is anybody in this place of worship who does not believe that God can heal, that God can work miracles, then I invite you to go ahead and go. No shame or guilt applied to it. I'm just giving you an invitation to go ahead and leave. Uh, if your football game is on, you need to hurry home, go ahead and go. But for those who do believe that miracles can happen, I invite you to stay because we're going we're gonna to do a little prayer service. And for people that want prayer for any, per, any, any reason... You need a job, you need your marriage saved, you need a child healed, you need yourself healed, or you just need your attitude readjusted. Whatever it is, we have people that want to pray for you. And we're going to lay hands on you. If we need to, we'll use oil, but we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you with expectation that God's going to move. And the scriptures indicate that if there are people present who don't have faith, that they will hinder the prayers of the faithful. And so that's why I just ask you to go ahead and leave if you don't believe it. While we're singing, nobody's going to judge you, but while we're singing, go ahead and leave. If there's only five of us left, that's great. That's no problem. So with that said, Kathy Court is asked would be in prayer for Nora. Now, this is an ongoing thing for Kathy because Nora is having some developmental delays because of her illness. And this is always going to be a concern. So we need to always pray for Nora and her family, that they will have the patience and the resources to take care of her. She's also asked we'd be in prayer for her nephew, Andy DeDonker, who's struggling with some personal things. Shirley is asked we'd be in prayer for Mary Wyke, uh, surgery recovery and more surgeries upcoming. This is a 38-year-old cousin. 88. Oh, pray for my eyesight. That would be good. Um, Ethel's asked would be in prayer for Brienne. This is her uh, her daughter, granddaughter. I'm sorry, this is Tammy's daughter. 
uh, for strength and energy as she deals with Xander, which is a great grandchild. Yes. And also she says, uh, thank you all for the birthday party and for everybody coming to see her. Happy birthday. And then Joanne Wickland is asked to be in prayer for Mike. Um, this is their son, uh, work, traveling, give him strength. And we always want to be in prayer for Eric and Jane because uh, we know that they are completely stressed and at the end of their rope. I want you to be in prayer for Annalise and Carrie, the family. Annalise is now in St. Louis at a rehab hospital for kids in Maryland Heights. Um, continue to pray for all of them. She does not have a support network. I'll tell you this. Uh, my contact my brother. He went and took some food for her and a gift card so she'd go to Chinooks and, and stock up uh, because they don't feed family there. They just feed the patients. Uh, but my niece, who is a cheerleader at St. Louis University, she took her whole team of cheerleaders to the room to kind of cheer up Annalise, and she was gone at rehab, so they missed her. But they gave her a, an autographed picture of the squad, and they're going to try to come back again this week to catch her. But be in prayer for Annalise, if you would, okay? So with this said, as we stand and sing... If you feel like you need to go ahead and depart, that's fine. But for those who are left, we'll go into our little prayer session after this, okay? Everybody falls sometimes. Gotta find the strength to rise from the ashes, make a new beginning. Anyone can feel the ache, you think it's more than you can take, but you're stronger.
the strength to rise. Okay, we'll do a quick little prayer here, and uh, if anybody wants to come up for prayer, we'll invite you to come up after this, and the others that need to leave, you can do that, but let's pray, okay? Father, as we go our separate ways, I pray that your Spirit will continue to lead us as you develop our faith by helping us to see examples of faith, hearing stories of faith, and I pray, Lord, that it'll continue to increase in us, that we can become more vibrant in our own faith, so we can be more useful to those who live in darkness and have no hope so that we can make a difference in this world for those who just don't know how to pray or don't have the faith to reach out to a God who loves them. Lord, help us to be an extension of your grace everywhere we hear cries for help or see the needs of hurting people. And I pray that you'll do amazing work through us so that your name can be glorified, not ours. Lord, we love you so much and we know that you love this world and it grieves you deeply to see them hurting and crying, and miserable, and pushing you away, and rejecting you. Lord, help us to do all we can to reverse that trend by being the people you called us to be and doing the things you're inviting us to do. All for Jesus and your kingdom we pray. Amen. All right, so does anybody like to come down for prayer? All right, so here, we'll let you sit here. This is fire, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. So if you you, work, if you can stand where you are and you can just hold out your hands towards Eric, but we want to, uh, we just want to lift him up. Father, we come to you with mustard seed faith, and we pray that you will use every one of us collectively and channel your spirit through us for the sake of this dear friend of ours who we love greatly. This man needs to see evidence, Lord, of your, your love for him. He needs to feel your touch and just know by faith that you are with him and that you care about him deeply. And we pray that you'll pour out your Holy Spirit into him and that you will heal his body of this cancer that has been afflicting him for so long. Lord, strengthen his body and help him to feel the power of your hands upon his head. Fill him with your spirit that he can feel his body tingling. May he be completely restored, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody else? Come on up, Jane. <laughs> Scott, you want to take this one? wants to be on fire come on now. get on get on fire we'll, we'll pray for you <laughs> Ruthie do you want to pray for Ethel
what her needs are at this time, but by faith I'm asking that you will meet them, and meet them in a way that her faith grows and our faith grows after this experience of praying for each other, that you will strengthen our faith, and you will put us on each other's hearts and minds, and that we'll reach out to you, and that by faith you will heal us as a congregation. Father, I lift Ethel up to you, and I ask that you speak directly into her heart, and that she knows her healing is coming. And Father, I also want to pray for Ethel. You put in my head that there may be generational sin. And, and uh, I pray, Lord, that if there are spirits that are afflicting Tammy or, or Brienne or this little Xander, I pray, Lord, that you will bind those spirits and cast them away from her family, that you will sever all generational sin that may be passed down to them. Uh, through the generations, and I just pray that you will give them complete and total freedom from their physical ailments, their mental health ailments, their spiritual ailments, Lord. Completely heal this family through Ethel and her, her lineage, and may your Holy Spirit bear witness to the fact there is a God who loves this family, send his son to Jesus to die for this family, and will do everything possible to heal and to bring, bring joy to this family. Through Ethel, may this become possible, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else want to sit on the hot seat? Anything in particular? Uh, a job that I get to keep my house, that I get to keep my husband. For those who don't know, Brock has, has had an early onset of Alzheimer's. And so there's a lot going on there. So, Holy Father, I lift up Ruthie, my dear friend, to you, and I pray that you will bathe her in righteousness, that you will cleanse her with the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive her of every sin that she's ever committed and those that she may not even be cognizant of. I pray that you will separate those sins from her as far as the east is from the west. And I pray that you will free her, Lord, from the sin that has been holding her back, the, the doubts, the the family crisis, the, the job situation. I pray that you'll give her complete and total freedom, Lord, that she may trust you and walk with you in a new way. I pray that you will answer her prayers, that you will provide for her everything she needs and even those that she never asked for. But because of her humility, because of her faith in you, Lord, I pray that you will overwhelm her with grace. I pray that fire from heaven will descend upon her and Brock, that you'll bring healing in every way possible as you hold her close to your chest and remind her how deeply you love her, Lord. Remind her deeply, Lord, how much you love her. Remind her, Lord, how much you love her. Remind her how much you love her, that you will never leave her nor forsake her and that you will always be there for her. And don't ever let her question that, Lord. May she see. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Anybody else? We're just getting warmed up. How can we pray for you? Okay. Holy Father, we pray 
that you'll bind the spirit of depression that has been haunting her and, and tripping her and holding on to her for so long. And we pray that in the name of Jesus Christ that you'll bind the spirit and cast it off of her and away from her, that it will never torment her again. We pray that you will pour fire through each of us into her heart, that you will regenerate her, that you will change her heart, Lord. We pray that you'll forgive every sin that she's ever committed, that you will forgive every sin that she's even thought about committing. And I pray that you'll give her a complete and total clear slate today in Jesus' name. We thank you for the blood that was shed for her to give her this hope and this new life. And we pray that today will be a day of victory and every day after will be a day that she will be free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You want to sit there and represent them? You represent Carrie and Annalise, and we'll pray through you for them. It's all by faith, right? Um, Wayne, do you want to pray for this one? Heavenly Father, we have prayed for Annalise and for Carrie and her family for several weeks now. And, and Father, the, the healing has come slowly, more slowly than we like. And Father, we just lift her up to you, and we just ask that you would touch her. Strengthen her legs, strengthen her left arm, help her to be in the right place so that you can work through the therapist. Father, if you want to work through miracles, that's okay with us too. We have faith. We know that you can do that. And we just pray that you would continue to strengthen Gary and Casey and all of their family, but especially strengthen Annalise. Yes, Father. Father, may I lift up to you Kathy's little granddaughter, Nora. Yes. We're talking about little girls, Lord. We have another little girl in our midst who, who has struggled all her life with developmental issues, with feeding, with all kinds of struggles. And, and Father, we just want to continue to, to lift up Nora to you and help her, to ask you to help her to be able to do the things a normal little girl would be able to do. We pray that you give Kathy and Harry strength and all of yes, their family as they struggle. Nora's issues, we just ask that you would continue to work through them. We know that they have strong faith. We know that they trust in you. And Father, we just ask for the reward for that faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody else? Katie Jo's asked to be in prayer for her marriage uh, with Corey. Um, Paige, you want to pray for this one? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, by obedience we come to you today. Lord, we love you so much, and we know that you are so capable of working miracles. Lord, by faith, we trust you. We trust that you will work a miracle in Katie Jo and her family's life, Lord. We pray for Jerry. We pray that you will uh, find Satan in the name of Jesus, that that she will be protected, that her eyes and her heart will be protected, Lord. Lord, there are so many different circumstances going along, going in this relationship and this family, Lord. We know you know every detail of it, Lord. And we just thank you in advance for all that you're going to do through us, Lord, that we can 
reach out to this family in any way possible, Lord, and that we can assist them, and that we could go daily in prayer, lifting, lifting them up and knowing and having faith, Lord, that you will heal, that you will reign. You already reign, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much. We thank you for all, every person that's, that's represented here, Lord. We, I, I pray that every day that you will remind them to lift this family up and just believe, have, growing our faith every day, Lord, and knowing that you will work a miracle. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. And Father, I pray for Katie, Joe, and Corey both that you will forgive all sin in their hearts that you'll completely cleanse their hearts and mind from all unrighteousness, that you may fill them with good thoughts, that you may fill them with your Holy Spirit, with a healthy outlook, with hope instead of condemnation, with, with peace instead of judgment. I pray that you will love this couple, Lord, and teach them how to love all over again and help them to fall in love with each other all over again. Help them to see Christ in each other, Lord, and help them to enjoy it and to want more of it. And we lift up this family to you, Lord, because we love them and we pray for a miracle in their lives. Please, Lord, don't turn your back on them, but pour your spirit into them and give them a miracle. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Jane, do you want to pray for this one?